0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pennsburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna. As always, alongside me, fellow Pennsburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last episode?
1: Well, I can't complain too much. Uh, more of the same.
0: Yeah, more of the same. Same old, same old. For the Penguins, uh, they have—the Penguins currently sit with a 4-2-1 record, which is very respectable. They're, they're, uh, they hold second place right now in the Metropolitan Division— All of their losses have come while north of the border in Canada, all of their losses have come to the likes of the Montreal Canadiens, the Edmonton Oilers, and most recently the Calgary Flames. So let's dive right into it, Robbie. Let's dive right into uh, this week's discussion because we have a longer mailbag to get to this week. While the Canada thing is obviously just a coincidence, the level of opposition has been tough. Edmonton and Calgary are are no slouch, uh, given that McDavid and Dreisaitl are in Edmonton. Uh, Calgary is filled with a lot of offensive talent as well, even after losing Johnny Goudreau. My question to you, based on what we've seen through the first couple of games here to start the season, the Penguins, uh, some nights their offense has been firing on all cylinders and they've scored six goals in multiple contests. Uh, Other nights they've looked slow out of the gate and that has contributed to some of their losses. Are you at all concerned right now with their secondary depth or uh, the ability to score if a key player like Jason Zucker or Jake Gensel goes down because both of those players, as we sit here and record this episode of the podcast are uh, both dealing with some injuries that have kept them out of the lineup.
1: Yeah, I think we, it's been kind of a topic that has been discussed since the summer and now into the beginning of the season. What do the Penguins have uh, depth wise when the primary scoring goes away? Cause as good as Crosby and Malgan are, there's going to be days. There's going to be stretches where they're going to need. They're going to go a little dry, and you're going to need that depth scoring to come up. And it it just hasn't. Like they go out west, and I mean they have a good showing against Columbus. Uh, Columbus, I don't think is as good as what people expect them to be. But they're still. I mean they got weapons. They're still a decent hockey team. But if the Penguins take care of that. Then they go out west, and now, now really tough schedule with these two games. These are two really good hockey teams two teams that you could very well will if I'm putting money down on it will likely meet in the playoffs. Um it could be a there should be a uh Western Conference final matchup, but with the the setup it's probably going to be a second round matchup and you get these games back to back. Calgary on two days rest and they look good starting against Edmonton. They go up 3-1, then things just kind of fall apart. They take a Sam Poulin, or not, I don't know if it was Poulin or not. If somebody takes a bad penalty, they can't kill it, it's 3-2. And then the wheels just kind of fall off after that. The, by the end of that period, uh, Edmonton's up 5-2. Uh, it just really kind of devolved from that point on. And that gets back to it where, okay, the early scoring, the big guns were there. But when momentum started to shift against them, that's where you like to see a that guy step up and make a play. Jason Zucker is not in this game. You have guys um, falling. You have, I guess, yeah, Poulin didn't make his debut until Calgary. So, um, but you have guys going down. You need guys to step up and it just didn't happen in this game. And this has kind of been uh, the warning sign that we've been flashing for the Penguins since, uh, since post-free agency that as good as the Penguins are, they got the big names back. As good as they are at the top of the lineup, that depth isn't there and some of those guys produced Stanton Heinen has been really good this year when needed and I understand they're without Teddy Bluger right now but I mean Josh Archibald Brock McGinn those guys just I know Josh Archibald and McGinn scored against uh, Columbus but they need to be more consistent than a goal every 10-12 games and they it just when Edmonton was able to get on the front foot, get the momentum, and shut down those top lines. There was almost no threat coming uh, from the rest of the Penguins lineup. So in that in that case, it's just not it, it was just not good enough. And again, same thing against Calgary. Calgary got off to a good start in the first period. Nazem Kadri scored twice. Uh, the Penguins did claw it back a little bit, but again, you can't rely on strictly Malkin, Crosby, Raquel, Rust all those guys to produce all your offense. You need those lower line guys to step up, and they didn't. They didn't in these two games, and that's that's going to be a big question mark going forward is if the Penguins are going to be a Stanley Cup favorite. I still think they're a playoff team, no doubt. They're completely – I mean, they have enough firepower to, to qualify the playoffs. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, when it comes to games like the Rangers or – the the Bruins, Tampa Bay, Florida, Toronto, uh, Carolina. When those game, when you need that depth, needs to be what separates you. Is that depth going to be enough? And from what we've seen in a small sample size, and especially from uh, Calgary and Edmonton, or yeah, Calgary and Edmonton, it's not going to be enough. And those guys are going to have to. Uh, find a way to produce more or Ron Hextall is going to have to find a way to make a move and make something happen because, and again, it's a tight cap. I understand that pieces might need to be moved, but it, it, if what we've seen so far in spurts has looked really good, but in the long run, I fear it will not be enough to put them over that next hump into true Stanley cup contender status. Um, when they're, when Zucker and Gensel were there, you can probably get away with it easily, but you're going to have injuries. We know that it's the Penguins and it's the NHL. You're going to have injuries. It's needs to be better, more efficient and needs to show up more than once. Every dozen games, the Penguins are to be a true competitive team uh, for the Stanley Cup. Once the playoffs roll around, uh, it's obviously great to have guys like Crosby Malkin. But if you look at the past cup champions and that includes the Penguins in 2016 and 2017, it wasn't all Crosby Malkin and Kessel and Latang, and you had guys like Kunitz, you had guys like Hagelin, Benino, all of them stepping up to make a difference. And these guys have to figure out if they're going to be that player. And if not, Ron Hextall is going to have some decisions to make here down the line.
0: The one thing I took away from everything you just said, and you mentioned it yourself, is the fact that this team is very much top heavy. And uh, their, their their top six can go up against the best of them. Now, granted, my concerns are that the top six is quite old. Uh, if you're being led by Crosby and Malkin, who we both agree are still very dominant players. But I think as they get older, the aging curve is going to affect every single player. They're going to need more help. From your Brock McGinn's, your your Sam Poulins, your Teddy Blugers, uh, your Josh Archibald's, uh, is it sustainable? I am of the mindset like you, Robbie. I don't know if it is. Uh, it all it seems to do is take one piece out of the top six, and everything seems to fall apart, and that's concerning. Your, your Brock McGinn's and your Josh Archibald's, they'll be decent penalty killers, and they'll bring a little bit of physicality, I guess. But if they're not going to be consistent scorers, then it, what's the point? I, I'm. I mean, we've already seen it with 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 uh, Zucker and Gensel both being out. Uh, there's only so much Crosby and Malkin can do by themselves, and it, it just goes to show you the 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 inability to get the right kind of depth because everybody wants to harp on. Oh, we we need physical muckers and grinders to stand up for Crosby and Malkin. Uh, you know, if something bad happens, which Okay, that I, I can kind of see that argument. But at the same time, the one, the one thing that matters in this league is you have to score more, more goals than the op- opposition. It's not about which team has more penalty minutes on the penalty sheet at the end of the game. If Archibald and McGinn and Bluger, all those guys in the bottom six, if they're not going to be producing offense, then why are they on this team? I, I don't need them on this team. Everyone is always so quick to harp on uh, this team is soft, and they get injured too easily. And we need a we need a big guy in the bottom six, like a Ryan Reeves or whatever. This right here is going to show that, like you said, when when it comes down to it, when you get to the nitty gritty, and you need to rely on your depth in and in specific cases like this, and even when we get into the playoffs, uh, these are very much one-dimensional players. Brock McGinn, what, the return on investment for Brock McGinn since he was signed in free agency. Uh, has been quite minimal. I mean, there are 500 guys who could do the same thing Brock McGinn can do in the NHL, who who they could do for league minimum. Uh, You know, the same thing can be said for Josh Archibald. And maybe Archibald won't be, he'll be the 13th forward, you know, whatever. He's fine in a pinch. He can score uh, occasionally. But if this is the kind of depth and bottom six depth that you're relying on, you're going to be in trouble over the course of an 82 game season and into the playoffs, because the older, like I always say, the older these stars get, the harder it's going to be for them to put the entire team on their back and, you know, carry them over the hump to try and win a championship. So, uh, I know we've only played, uh, six or seven games so far, and there's still many, 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 many more months of hockey to be played, but Jason Zucker and Jake will go down. Teddy Bluger hasn't played at all this season. And you're already hamstrung and you're, you're icing guys that really aren't producing much offense. It's uh, I wish they would have allocated the money that they did have in free agency. Like you said at the start, Robbie, when you started making your point, I wish they would have allocated that money to uh, a couple of more Danton Heinen esque players who have the ability to carry a line, help carry a line offensively in the bottom six and can be moved up and down the lineup based on injury. So Given that the Penguins, Robbie, have had these notoriously rough starts to uh to their games, like you see sluggish first and second periods and it it's it's very weird. It's almost like the team is able to flip a switch and maybe they're conserving energy as a largely veteran group. Uh I've seen the argument made on social media that it's much more useless to expend energy in an early October game than it would be if you were in February or March, which makes sense uh, for a veteran club like the Penguins. Uh, do you think the the rough starts to games and the rough periods in particular, uh, do you think that is also related to the shoddy depth that uh, you can make an argument for in the bottom six?
1: I don't know if I would... Uh lay the blame at the feet of the the depth. I just think it's, it feels like a conversation we have every year at the Penguins um, at some point, these periods, whether it's a string of bad second periods after dominating the first period, uh, you just, they go through these stretches where they seem to take a period off. They don't play a full 60 minutes and maybe a part of it is just getting going for the new season. Maybe a part of it is conserving energy. I, I, I don't buy that as much as it's just who the Penguins – it's just an identity kind of thing for the Penguins. Um, yeah, I, it just – I mean, I guess you'd rather have your first period sluggish than your third period, but you saw against Edmonton what happens when you have a sluggish middle period. I mean, you're up – what would we say? 4-1 or 3-1 in that game. You're in full control on the road against a very good team. And in that game, they kept Conor McDavid off the score sheet. Conor McDavid had zero points. If you would have told me before that game that Connor McDavid would have no points in that game against the Penguins, I'd probably, 95% of the time, I'd say the Penguins won. And they just, yeah, they just kind of let off the gas, and they let the other team take over. And it's just, and it's drastic, these slow, these slow, sluggish periods are drastic. I forget what the shot differential was between Edmonton and Pittsburgh, but it was drastic. And then the first period against Calgary was not quite as bad, but it wasn't far off being uh, as bad. But I I I just it might just be an inherent trait of the Penguins to play like this. I don't think it's resting themselves playing 40 minutes a night in October. I really don't think in the long haul is going to make a big difference when March and April roll around. But hey, maybe maybe there's something in their brain that they think that, like a placebo, that taking it easy now means they can save a little bit up for uh, the stretch run. But, I mean, when you're up 3-1 in a road game like that, you want to be able to hold on to that lead, even against a high-scoring team like, like Edmonton. For the most part, they controlled the game until Edmonton took over. I mean, that was the Penguins hockey game to lose, and they did just that. Um, outside of that, yeah, they've gone through – you had this, it, the instances against – uh, the Canadians, you had kind of the same instance against Columbus, though they did come back uh to get a or to win to defeat the, the Blue Jackets. They uh, blew a two goal lead in the third period against uh Montreal because of a sluggish period. And I I Mike Sullivan's clearly not happy about it. That's not how Mike Sullivan coaches that team. And that's why I don't think it's a a predetermined effort to save energy. I just think that's who the Penguins are right now. They're going to play a period like that, and unfortunately, more times than not, you're not going to get away with it. The Penguins have enough talent to get away with it sometimes, but against good teams like Edmonton and Calgary, it's not going to work out for you very well in the end.
0: All right. Well, we have a massive nine-question mailbag after not getting a lot of responses over the last two weeks, so we'll dive right into the mailbag segment. If you're interested in contributing to the mailbag segment over the course of the upcoming season, you can do so by following the Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account. Every week, we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Uh, again, you can follow Pensburg Pod, Pensburg P O D, on Twitter to get notified whenever a uh, new episode of the podcast comes out or a new mailbag tweet comes out as well. So, Robbie, like we've done in the past, and we'll do uh, for this round of mailbag questions, you'll get a first crack at the questions, and we will swap back and forth until the mailbag is complete. Question number one comes from longtime mailbag question asker, Brendan. And Brendan asks, we do Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day warm-up jerseys, but why not Halloween? If the Penguins did, uh, participated in, with some fun Halloween warm-up jerseys, what would you want them to look like?
1: I think anything with uh, why they don't do it is a good, great question. I'm just looking at the promotional schedule here, and they don't really have their first promotion uh, until after. Well, it's on the when they return home on uh, the first. It's Pittsburgh night uh, against the Bruins. Why don't they do Halloween? I don't know. I don't think a lot of teams do Halloween from what uh, just off the top of my head. But if you were going to do a Halloween type uh, theme prior uh, pregame jersey, obviously you'd have to incorporate the black and Uh, the black and um orange somehow you could do a black base orange trim um or do a reverse and orange base kind of like the um uh, this is predating you and even me a little bit but they um kind of like an nhl logo color mashup if you know the nhl logo with the old the old nhl logo with the black and the in the red or the the orange uh typing they used to do that um they used to wear um all-star jerseys like that so something like that you could have some fun with it and obviously they go and auction them away then and uh, make money off them you could easily do that for um, for Halloween why they don't I really don't have an answer for you but again I, I think you could have a lot of fun you can since they're not serious uniforms they're just wearing them for uh pre-game skate and uh for auction that I think you can have a lot of fun with uniforms like that maybe uh give them a the numbers and names a you know, like a Halloween font. Um, if you can, you know what I'm describing. If you're listening um, like a zombie kind of font or something like that. Or if you even wanted to make like um, pumpkins or uh, a, a Frankenstein monster kind of theme, they could be green. Uh, g- Ghosts is white. That's kind of boring for a pregame Jersey, but I mean, you could have a uh, Halloween kind of gives you a, a, a nice opening that you could have where a, a lot of fun with, uh, creativity and stuff. Whereas like, uh, um, St. Patrick's day, you know, they're going to be green Valentine's day. They're probably gonna be pink or red stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it's one you could definitely, uh, have fun with. And I even think a couple years ago, I don't know if they did it last year. They had, uh, ugly, yeah. Ugly holiday sweater kind of pregame, uh, jerseys. They do have a uh, right before Christmas an Ugly ho- Holiday Sweater Night. So it'll be interesting to see if they do anything fun pregame for that because, again, another area you could have a lot of fun. Uh, number two from Brendan. Uh, what do you guys do for work besides the Pensberg's, the Pensburg stuff?
0: Well, Robbie, I think I can speak for the both of us here when I can tell Brendan that we both live very fascinating and very interesting lives outside of our Pennsburg stuff. <laughs> I am... I've been freelancing for Pennsburg since 2016. Uh, right now I'm freelancing for KDKA, uh, one of the local news stations here in Pittsburgh. Uh, and that's kind of where my work time gets devoted between freelancing a couple of different gigs here and there. But uh, that, that's basically it. Uh, Robbie, what about you? Do you? I know you have something exciting up up, up your sleeve.
1: Oh yeah, I live quite an exciting life here and I live in Johnstown. Uh, Most people are going to be familiar with that at the very least and my day job my 9 to 5 or I should say 7 to 4 is. um, I'm an IT guy for an engineering firm here in Johnstown uh, downtown. Uh, I actually work with my brother. He's an engineer. I'm not. I'm just an IT guy. Uh, So that's basically what I do. I also do freelance uh, sports reporting for the local paper here in Johnstown, the Tribune Democrat, uh, cover mostly like football, basketball, uh, occasionally some baseball or softball. And we also have a NAHL, uh, junior hockey team here in Johnstown that I will cover occasionally as well. So my main job is the, uh, the it work and then the freelance writing for the paper or Pennsberg is my, um, we'll call that my spending money, um, every month. Uh, uh, when that check comes in.
0: All righty, Brendan, again, question number three, hockey players are elite athletes. Why do we never hear of them competing in summer activities like road races or cycling? Uh, and he gives the example of what the Sedins are doing post retirement.
1: Uh, because they beat their body to absolute crap for nine months. They probably just don't want to think about being in any kind of competitive physical activity outside of just training for the next season Uh, i can i elite athletes absolutely what they put their bodies through and this goes for i mean every major sport whether it's a non-contact sport or a contact sport what athletes put their bodies through is pretty phenomenal stuff Uh, that's why when they get to the age of 30 40 and older um that's why they are having knee replacements and hip replacements and their fingers are bent sideways and their shoulders are um all busted and torn and their arms are and they're all beat up their feet are all mangled and they can barely walk by the time they're 50 or 60 uh it's because they put their bodies through just such absolutely absolute torment for 9 months out of the year uh just taking a pounding, grinding all the time. It's really uh, tough stuff, and I really don't blame any of them for not being into any kind of extreme uh, summer activity when they're away from the rink outside of training. Uh, The the, that they mentioned post-retirement. Yeah, I think post-retirement, when you have more time to train specifically for something like a bike race or a marathon or some kind of other sport you can you can do that but um why don't they ever compete it's just because i just think it's such a hounding grind on your body all the time that when you do get an extended break you just want to pull up a chair have a ice cold beer and just chill out and not put your body just let your body recover for once rather than just pushing it and grinding it uh into even more dust uh, question number four, no name on this one, but the question is, thoughts are thoughts on Kapanen's start to the season so far? Seems to have found his game a bit more than any point last season, and I love his usage on the penalty kill as well.
0: My apology is to the person who submitted this question. Uh, when I put this uh, outline together, it was very late in the evening, and I probably missed copying and pasting your name. But if you're listening and you ask this question, you know who you are, and I will answer it for you right now. Uh, Robbie, you and I both talked uh, ad nauseum several times last season about Kasperi Kapanen's play during the 2021-22 season. And, you know, during that stretch of play last year, he was incredibly streaky because he had scored 30 points in 40 games during the COVID season. And so he followed that up with just 11 goals and 21 assists in 79 games played. Uh, I think a lot of people were expecting a lot more out of him and didn't get it. Uh, this year, he does look noticeably different. It, he looks like he's using his speed much more effectively, and he's almost a point-per-game player right now through so, the seven games played. He has a goal and four assists. Looking at some of his possession metrics, uh, the possession metrics are aren't super kind to him at the moment, Uh, but it, it is a very small sample size. I mean, he's typically over a 50% player in tor- in terms of cur- Corsi 4 and Fenwick 4 percentage, but right now through seven games, he's sitting at a 46.6 Corsi 4 and a 46.1 Fenwick 4 percent- per- percentage. Uh, the, po- the puck possession numbers might not be in his favor right now, but uh, you know, we talked earlier about how the depth has not been in the Penguins' favor uh, a lot of times so far in this early portion of the season. But Caspery Kapanen's play, uh, he has been an outlier in terms of some of the depth contributions that they have been getting. Uh, Robbie, you mentioned Heinen earlier, but yes, uh, I don't know what it was whether it was a contract extension or whether one of the coaches just told Kapanen to simplify his game and just do what you do best, which is skate fast and. Ask questions later. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but uh, Kapanen has historically been a very streaky player. Uh, so right now he looks to be on a pretty hot streak. Right now we'll see how consistently that continues. But yes, I, I agree. Kapanen has been one of the one of the brighter spots to start the season for the Penguins. Question number five comes from Brian. A healthy Jason Zucker looks like a buzzsaw out on the ice. Are we finally getting to see what he can do? fully
1: healthy this must have been written before the calgary game probably uh it feels like i should add in some like womp womp music with uh with this answer and the answer is simply yes but we knew he was a buzzsaw before he got hurt or when he was we knew that all because that's how he's played his entire career and we saw it in the playoffs last year when he was healthy we saw it in the what 20 minutes of action he got between injuries last year where he scored two goals and was just a maniac on the ice. And yeah, I mean, that's who he is. That's the player he is. He is a gritty grinded player. He is going to get under your skin. He's going to drive you insane as an opponent. And guess what? He's going to score 20 or 25 goals uh, when he's healthy like that, because that's, he has that scoring touch a little different than a guy like maybe a Heinen, because I, I think that Jason Zucker enjoys being annoying uh, to these opponents because he knows it gets under their skin, and it, and he knows it drives them crazy. And when he is healthy and doing that, he is one of the most efficient and effective players in this lineup. And, again, yeah. cross your fingers. This is nothing serious. Mike Sullivan said he did uh, take the ice after practice today. He was on the ice doing work, so he's not doesn't look anything surgically related or anything necessarily right. broken. Uh, it's just a hopefully a day-to-day injury, and by the time they get back home uh, in the middle of next week, he can be back on the ice. But simple, si- simply put, when he's healthy, the player you saw at the beginning of this season is who Jason Zucker is, and it is fantastic to watch because he adds such a distinctive element uh, to this team, and he's played so well with a guy like Malkin that um, having him healthy is such an important part uh, to them, again, mentioning what we said before, being a Tier two or Tier one Stanley Cup contender. Uh, Question number six, again from Brian: Uh, Does John Ruta have big shoes to fill, being a defenseman wearing the number forty-four?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the number forty-four. It's not it's not jersey retirement worthy, but Brooks Orpik will probably go down as uh, the Penguins' best number forty-four, long time stay at home defender, always pretty steady big shoes to fill? I don't know. I mean, I think both Orpik and Ruda are similar in that they're more stay-at-home defensemen. Although I say that, and looking at Jan Ruda's stats, he does have two goals and an assist through seven games played so far. He scored goals in back-to-back games in the win versus uh, Columbus and the win versus the Kings. So uh, it doesn't look like he's afraid to rip it from the point, which is, which is uh, a positive if, we're, if you're looking for offense. I uh, don't expect him to be a consistent contributor of offense, but uh, I think they're both similar players. But uh, I don't know if I would say big shoes to fill. I mean, everyone who thinks of the number 44 is almost immediately probably going to think of of Brooks Orpik. And that's the kind of impact he had on this team for so long. But I think they're both similar players and I think both of them fit their roles that they're supposed to serve very well. Question number seven, also from Brian is Mike Sullivan, the greatest coach in Pittsburgh Penguins history. What kind of legacy do you think Badger Bob would have accomplished had he not gotten sick?
1: Uh, Both two good questions. And I'm actually going to start with the second one here uh, about Badger Bob. And it's always kind of like a, a great what if, because what if he doesn't get sick? What I, do the Penguins uh, go back to back? Um, you have to. Um, they're going to be in the conversation because they're good enough. They were good enough to win with Scotty Bowman. The talent was still there. There's not much change from that '91 team and that '92 team. Um, and obviously, that's you're the only. He would have been the only coach to win a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh at that point. Um, how long would he have stayed around? I don't know. Does '93 turn out differently? Um, a bunch of questions that we'll never have answered. And his legacy in Pittsburgh is already what it is now, and that was with one season with the Stanley Cup. What it could have been is, I mean, you're talking – I mean, he's already iconic, so whatever you want to put over that. The fact that he probably deserves a statue outside of uh, PPG Paints Arena just because of what he meant to the franchise in that one season. And he probably deserves – like, there's so many – younger fans now that, again, I don't even necessarily remember Badger Bob because I was only, he was 91. I was not even two when they won that first cup. So I grew up more of hearing the legend of Badger Bob rather than ever experiencing it. But what, yeah, what he could have done in Pittsburgh if he would not have gotten ill and passed away, he probably, I mean, he would be probably the greatest coach in Penguins history uh, to this point. And he definitely, I still think, would argue that he deserves a statue somewhere in the arena or outside of it. And now, getting back to the first question, uh, all that aside about Badger Bob, Mike Sullivan is the greatest coach in Penguins history. If we're building statues, might as well give him a bust somewhere as well because I look what he's done. I mean, if you read, I think Josh Yoey had a piece out at, on the in the Athletic uh, before the se- right before the season during training camp, basically saying that. As long as Crosby, Malkin, and LeTanger in Pittsburgh, Mike Sullivan's the head coach. Unless something would completely fall off the rails, uh, Mike Sullivan will be the Penguins' head coach. Mario loves him. The Fenway Sports Group loves him. And most importantly, the Big Three loves him. Um, He has the most wins in franchise history, um, a number which may never be broken, at least not for a very long time. Um, The only coach to win multiple Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh the Penguins have five. He's the only one with two. Um, and his longevity. He is, I mean, he, he's he been in Pittsburgh for what it's tough to believe almost seven years now. Next, in December, it'll be seven years. Um, two Stanley Cups, never missed the playoffs. Um, just, yeah, the most successful coach in Penguins history. You can't really argue against it at this point. Maybe Badger Bob, just because of what he did, um, is probably number two. But you can't argue against all these accolades um, in Pittsburgh. And it doesn't sound like, uh, if you believe uh, Mr. Yoey, that that he is going anywhere anytime soon. So, yeah, Mike Sullivan's number one. I'll go with Badger Bob, number two. And then I need mean, Scotty Bowman. It's too bad he couldn't have hung around for a few more years, too, because I think the Penguins may have had a few more cups with uh, Scotty at the helm as well. But, um, yeah, um, all all compared— Mike Sullivan's the greatest coach in Penguins history. Uh, number eight from Wesley Reed. Is it time to trade Dumlin or Pierre Olivier-Joseph? And what is, and with the past few performances, maybe Jeff Petrie?
0: Well, I think it's way too early to hitting the start hitting the panic button about uh, trading some players. But uh, this question piqued my interest because Brian Dumoulin has been a player that we've talked about a little bit going back to last season. Uh, he hasn't looked like the same kind of defender he was with Chris Letang for so many seasons. And I decided to dig deeper into some of his early season stats this year and going back to last year. And Dumoulin was never known for his offense, so it would be useless to bring up those kinds of stats. He, he was always a good yin to Chris Letang's yang uh, being a nice uh, defensive defenseman, even taking some of the advanced metrics out of the equation. If you judge your hockey by the eye test, he looks a step slower and the possession metrics do not paint a very favorable picture. Uh, he, he was never the greatest defenseman in terms of puck possession, but this year, even through seven games, things have not been good. Uh, Corsi four percentage at 37.9% Fenwick four percentage at 39.5%. Again, both of those puck possession uh statistics measure in terms of if you if if your Fenwick 4 or Corsi 4 is above 50%, that means above 50% means the team was controlling the puck more often than not with this player on the ice in a specific situation. So, having a Corsi uh Corsi and Fenwick into the into the 30% range is not very promising. Uh Dumoulin, Physically, doesn't just doesn't look like the same defender. And that's one of the things, as we head into the upcoming offseason, uh, I remember reading, maybe it was not the Athletic, there were rumblings that uh, the Hextall regime wanted to give Brian Dumoulin an extension. And to be quite honest with you, I, I'm of the mindset right now, and we'll see what happens over the course of this season, but Brian Dumoulin does not look worthy of uh, of an extension. Yes, he's done a lot for the Penguins since the 2013-2014 season, and especially he came on full-time in 2015-2016, but he is no generational talent compared to Chris Letang. He's been a steady hand, absolutely. He's been a perfect complement to Letang's style of play, absolutely. But I think Brian Dumoulin is replaceable, If these kinds of negative trends continue, and we started seeing them, we started noticing them last year, and we were drawing criticism towards Dumoulin last year for that kind of play. If this kind of trend continues, uh, I hope he's not one of the players that receives a long term extension already at age 31. Uh, the the age gap and the aging curve could be catching up with, with Dumoulin specifically. And you you mentioned uh, Pierre Olivier Joseph. I don't think I think the Penguins. It's no secret they tried to move Joseph before the start of the season. Uh, he had no takers at that point. I think they're going to see if they have anything else left in Joseph. If he can prove that he can hang up here with the big boys and keep Ty Smith down in Wilkes Bear. Uh, if not, maybe Joseph is packaged for uh, a mid to late round draft pick, which would be a shame considering he was the, the big get in the Phil Kessel trade. And hindsight's always twenty twenty, 20 Robbie, but that Phil Kessel trade, the return on that uh, looks worse and worse by the month if you uh, really want to analyze it, seeing as Joseph hasn't really lived up to the billing that he may have been presented with. And Jeff Petrie, no, there's probably no chance that they trade Petrie. Uh, after acquiring him so quickly from uh, the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, things would have to go off the rail, and it would have to be a fire sale by the trade deadline in March to even maybe entertain that. But Petrie is probably safe for now. Uh, POJ, we'll see what happens. I mean, Ty Smith is waiting in the wings, and he had an impressive uh, training camp in preseason. So I imagine the leash is getting a bit shorter for Joseph as we get deeper and deeper into the season. The final question, question number nine, comes from Mike Rosenthal, and it kind of ties into what I was just talking about with Brian Dumoulin. Who will step up to be a legit defense partner with Chris Letang?
1: hate to say it, but uh, Mike, and I hate to tell you this, but I think you're going to have to get used to Brian Dumoulin being uh, the defenseman alongside Chris Latang because I'm pretty sure he's there. Um, he's going to be planted there. I don't think they have any designs on, on moving him. I don't know who they would if they'd want to try uh, a guy like Pedersen there, but Pedersen works so well with Petrie. Uh, Chad Rue, well, again, Chad Rue is a right hander, so you're going to be thinking it's got to be uh, a lefty defenseman. Uh, so I think, unless they really want to go wild and try to trade or try PO Joseph there, I really think it's just going to be Brian Dumlin, and that's just uh, how it's going to be. I don't think there's much to. Obviously, nothing that we can really do about it. We're only we're only fans, and we can yell at the Twitter uh, the Twitter account all we want. Um, uh, props to uh, that team for dealing with all the frustration uh, of, of 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 the fan base. But I think Brian Dumlin is the Yin to Crystal Tang Jiang, um, for better or for worse. I don't know if I don't really don't think that. Uh, um. Mike Sullivan has any designs on on making any changes, so that's just what we're going to have to live with. It's going to be Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin on that top pairing as long as both are healthy, and if both are healthy, that's just going to be what's on the ice. I know Dumoulin's struggling. Um, he has since last season. I just don't see where in the roster or in the farm system or where a move could possibly be made uh, that would change what we're seeing uh, with those two on the ice.
0: At times, I mean, last season, at times they experimented with Matheson and Latang as the top pairing when Matheson was still here, and that was kind of a roller coaster, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, both of those defensemen have similar playing styles and like to join the rush and contribute offensively, and it was kind of of, uh, maddening to watch if you were a fan of the defensive aspects of hockey. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to see, you know, maybe long-term, maybe Ty Smith gets a bump into the top four, but that's another kind of two two similar styles meshing together. Maybe it doesn't produce the uh, desired outcome. If Sullivan constructs his team the way it looks, I mean, you have a, a Dumoulin with Latang, you have a Pedersen with a Petrie, uh, you have a Joseph with a Ruta, it's kind of like you have an offensive defenseman and a defensive defenseman. If that trend continues, yeah, to Robbie's point, there's really nobody on the roster currently that I think could adequately fill those shoes to play top two minutes alongside uh, Chris Letang. Uh, you know, maybe they go outside the organization, but that's a conversation you can't even start to have until maybe the trade deadline. Uh, but more realistically, probably free agency. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of just like Robbie said. We 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 can only throw our our shoes at the tv and yell and scream all we want but you know here's hoping that he turns his game around and, and isn't that much of a liability on the back end but uh, the early results are not promising that's for sure that will do it for this episode of the pensburg podcast thank you so much for listening uh, for robbie Noggle i have been garrett Bahana, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week